they're making their way there, I'd ask that you would turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Now this morning we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. So Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Well, key cards have become an important tool for schools, businesses, even hotels. Uh, they're easy to make, uh, they're easy to program, and they help make things more secure. When I became a seminary student, one of the first things that I had to do was to go and get my picture taken so I could get a student ID card. Now, that ID card was important because it wasn't just a piece of plastic with my name and my picture on it. It was actually a key card, and it was vital for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, it showed that I was, in fact, a student at the school. Um, it also unlocked the, room, or the, the door that let me into my dorm. Uh, it granted access to me to the, use the seminary facilities like the gym and the pool. Uh, it allowed me to check out books from the library. And most importantly, it connected me to my meal plan account so I could actually eat. Uh, that card was proof that I belonged at the school. And it ensured that I got to use all the rights and the privileges of a student. Now, and there were even, on top of that, there were even some businesses in town that would give you student discounts. So having your student ID was crucial. Everywhere I went, I took my ID card with me. You never knew when you were going to need it. And since you needed it to do so many things, you never wanted to be without it. Now, the card didn't make me a student, but it did serve as proof that I belonged to the school. More than that, it equipped me and it, it gave me access to the tools that I needed to be able to get through my education there. And if anyone was wondering whether or not I was supposed to be where I was, I had evidence that I belonged. Key cards are great if we're talking about a school or a business, maybe even a hospital. But what about the kingdom of God? It's not as if we all swiped our Christian ID cards when we came in here this morning. What identifies you as a child of God, as a member of the household of Christ? What proof do we have to show that we are citizens in Jesus' kingdom? Well, the men and women in the Galatian churches were struggling to answer that question. They were struggling because certain men had come in among them and troubled them by teaching that the way you entered into membership among God's people was by keeping the commands of the Mosaic Law. More particularly, they were saying that you couldn't be part of God's people unless you had been circumcised. Now, circumcision was sort of that first step that opened the doors and led to the, keeping the rest of the Jewish traditions. It was given first by God to Abraham as an indicator of the covenant promises he'd made with him. But now, uh, that, now that they were living in this New Testament era, uh, we see that these men were still putting pressure on the churches in Galatia uh, to, to give in to those laws and to, to, to saying that they were still under the rule of those laws. Now, the pressure that was being put on the Galatian churches was starting to have a profound impact there. They were being led astray to a different gospel from the gospel of grace that they had first received from Paul. They were being led down a path that tried to add works of the law to the work of Christ. And the, and the problem was that in doing so, that the Galatians were abandoning the pure gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for a salvation of faith plus works, which is effectively saying they were shifting uh, to accept a gospel from a gospel. They were shifting from a gospel of faith to a gospel of works, of faith in their own works and not in Christ at all. Well, last week Paul showed us that 
adding works of the law to the gospel of grace effectively nullifies what Christ came to do. Jesus came to set us free from the law by fulfilling the law and its demands. To require the law for salvation is to rebuild that wall of division that Christ broke down on the cross. And so Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians to call them back to the pure gospel of grace that he had first preached to them. To this point in the letter, most of, the focus that he, most of his focus has been primarily on defending the authenticity of the message that they had received from him. Now, in chapter 3, we see that Paul shifts a bit to aim more at the, the Galatians themselves to prove through their own experience that they were, in fact, members of the household of Christ. And that their membership in that household was not on the basis of their works, but rather on in the basis of Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. When the Galatians wandered into a false gospel of works, Paul's response was to call them back to the power of the cross, which is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A crossless gospel is a powerless gospel. And it's important for us to give the gospel, to give the cross of Christ the attention that it is due. Because Satan knows this. And he will do everything in his power to distract us from the power of the cross and to cause us to trust in something else. Galatians 3, the chapter of Galatians 3, is all about finding assurance in the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted to prove to the Galatians through their own experience and then through the authority of the scriptures that they did not need to accept circumcision or to take on the works of the law that were being advocated by these false teachers because they had been made members of God's people through faith in Christ. And he lays this argument about the power of the cross he lays it out in, about, in three parts. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the first proof that Paul gives of why we can know that we are members of the household of Christ, and that is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to God's people. So let's read this morning what Paul had to say about the way that the Spirit applies the power of the cross to us and about the way he assures believers that we have been joined to Christ as his people. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. Once again, I'll be reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, God doesn't hand out key cards to show that we are members of his people. He gives us his spirit. And the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives proves the power of the cross of Christ, which leads us to consider the main idea of our passage this morning. We learn to trust in the power of the cross of Christ because of the way that the Holy Spirit works 
to assure us of the hope and the gospel of grace, the hope of the gospel of grace. Well, in his effort to call the Galatians to hope in the power of the cross, Paul presents as evidence three ways that the Holy Spirit works in and assures us that we belong to God. We can rest assured in the effectiveness of Jesus' cross for three reasons, which will be our three points this morning. We can rest assured in the effectiveness of Jesus' cross because believers have received the Holy Spirit. We have received the Holy Spirit. Second, we are being perfected by the Holy Spirit. Being perfected by the Holy Spirit. And third, our needs are always supplied by the Holy Spirit. Our needs are always supplied by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of begin by looking specifically at the power of the cross, and then we'll look at how the Holy Spirit testifies to the effectiveness of that power. So let's begin by looking first at the, the whole subject of what Paul is trying to bring the Galatians back to see, which is the power of Jesus' cross. Now, at the beginning of this letter, if, if you were with us when we started this series, we've seen how Paul told the Galatians about how astonished he was of how quickly they were abandoning the one who had called them in the grace of Christ. Now that we've pressed into that issue a little bit further, it's becoming clear that in turning to a different gospel, a gospel that said you gained acceptance into God's people by keeping the commands of the law of Moses, the Galatians were actually abandoning the cross of Christ. And in doing so, they were nullifying the grace of God, which he had secured uh, through Jesus for us, when he rescued us from our sin and from this present evil age. That, we read that in chapter 1. By turning to the works of the law for assurance of acceptance by God, the Galatians were actually gutting the gospel of its power. Look at the difference between the way Paul spoke about the cross of Christ back in chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, when he talked about his relationship to Jesus and Jesus' cross, and the way he now addresses the Galatians themselves here in, in verse 1, chapter 3. Paul took the cross personally. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Paul took his stand at the cross because he knew that the cross of Christ was his only hope to receive righteousness, that is to be counted innocent in the sight of God. But now, as, as Paul addresses the Galatian churches and their troubling situation, he calls them out. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, even as Paul addresses the Galatians, you can see the priority he places on the cross. Everywhere he went, Paul preached Jesus Christ crucified. You read that in every letter he wrote. You read that in everything he did as recorded in the book of Acts. That's what he had done in the cities of Galatia. That's the message that the, these, these churches in Galatia had received, and it's the message they had said that they believed. They should have taken their stand at the cross of Christ with Paul. But instead, what we see is they, they were deserting the truth of the gospel and the power of the cross for a lie. Now, you know that in his time as a missionary traveling through the Roman Empire, Paul saw a lot of astonishing things. Things that grieved him, but I doubt which surprised him. Because he knew people, 
And he knew that those people who did those astonishing things were still enslaved to the power of sin. They were still citizens of the kingdom of Satan. But this letter, this letter to the Galatians, is written to believers, to people who had been rescued out of that kingdom of darkness. They know better. They believed the truth. As we see in a moment, uh, they had received the Holy Spirit. How do you explain someone like that, abandoning the one who called them out of the darkness into his marvelous light? As we start to think about that, we realize this is why Paul was so astonished at the situation going on with the Galatians. The Galatian churches were being lured away from the beauty of the truth. They had been charmed by the allure of circumcision. They were beginning to put stock in their own works and in their own righteousness. They had lost sight of the power of the cross. And so Paul is baffled. He's looking for an explanation. And the only thing he can think of is, who has bewitched you? Who has cast this spell on you? Who has so blinded you to the error you are giving into so that you can't even see the foolishness of what are you doing? Can't you see this is madness? Well, the Galatians, like Peter, knew the truth of the gospel. They couldn't plead ignorance. Their knowledge of the truth of Jesus' crucifixion is what's making Paul so bewildered about their desertion. He says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, that, what Paul means by that is that he had clearly explained to them not only what Jesus did on the cross, but why the cross mattered to the Galatians, why it mattered for them. They had lost sight of that. They had lost sight of what they had first received from Paul. And now, because they had gotten distracted, they were abandoning the glory of the Son of God to try to find light in the darkness of worldly wisdom and worldly understanding. There is a way that seems wise to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, Paul says, that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So if we cut ourselves off from the cross of Christ, we have cut ourselves off from the very power of God, which is active to, to save us from our sins. The churches in Galatia had become enchanted with the distortion of that gospel, which robbed the cross of Christ of its power. And that's a, that's a warning to you and to me that of how easily we can be led astray when we start relying on our own wisdom and on our own understanding rather than relying on the wisdom of Christ and of God in the gospel. The old Puritan pastor Richard Sibbs paints a really accurate uh, picture of the condition of our clouded wisdom and our clouded understanding when he says, This is the vanity of our natures that though we shun above all things to be deceived and mistaken in present things, yet in the greatest matters of all, we are willingly ignorant and misled. The Galatians were being misled. And they were being misled because they had lost sight of the power of Jesus' cross. If we take a careful look at the weakness of our own hearts apart from the wisdom of Christ, we actually, I think, won't be so surprised to see that this lie had found traction with the Galatians because we know ourselves and how easily we can be led astray through the logic that Satan often presents to the church in his effort to try to lead us away from Christ. It is so easy for us to begin to believe that our 
fittingness, our, 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 our innocence before God is really a matter of our works. We must take our stand at the cross of Christ because that's where the power of God's love and His mercy are found. It's at the cross where we see the cost of our sin. It's at the cost where we see our old man, the part of us that was enslaved to death and to sin, actually put to death with Christ. It's at the cross where we see the justice of God satisfied. And we embrace the shame of the cross because we know that that Jesus went there for us because he loves us. The cross proves that the weakness of God is stronger than men and that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. God chose what the world called foolish and shameful to shame the wise. He chose the weakness of the cross to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, we read in 1 Corinthians, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no person might ever boast in their own might, in their own wisdom, in their own strength, but they can only boast in what He has done for us. It is fair to say that the Galatians lost sight of the gospel and had begun to abandon the God who loved them and who had called them because they had lost sight of this power of the cross of Christ. They had abandoned the cross by trying to live in the old era, in the Mosaic law, rather than embracing the freedom that Christ had purchased for them at the cost of his own suffering and his death on the tree. We see and savor the power of the cross when we follow him on the path of faith. The power of the cross is felt in the Christian's heart tasted by our souls, relished in our experience of His grace. We taste and see that the Lord is good when we take our stand beneath the cross of Jesus. And unless we remain steadfast and sure to this message of the gospel, this message of truth, we cannot claim assurance of salvation. Our assurance is linked with the power of the cross. The Galatians were doubting the sufficiency of the power of the cross. That's why they were being led astray into this false gospel. In verses 2 through 5, Paul asks the churches a series of questions. And these questions are are, are meant to be pointed. They're meant to jolt the the Galatians away, to shake them out of the stupor of this enchantment, to make them see and rely on the reality and the sufficiency of the power of the cross. These questions are important. Paul meant them to be Rhetorical, meaning the answers are supposed to be obvious to you and to me and to the Galatians he wrote this to. They're meant to prove a point. The Galatians knew these answers because the gospel of Jesus and the significance of the cross we've seen was, was adequately and clearly explained to them, and they had received it. Paul wanted the Galatians to wake up from their entrancement, to realize and be assured that they were part of the people of God, not because they did certain things, but because of what Christ did for them. He wanted them to know they were part of the people of God because of the grace that had been preached to them and poured out on them and because they had believed it and received it through faith. So Paul brings them back. He assures them that they've been made acceptable in the sight of God through faith alone by appealing to his first test of their faith, which is the fact that they have experienced the Holy Spirit working in them And so in the rest of our passage, we see that he lays out three ways that the Spirit works to assure believers of the power of the cross of Christ. 
Now, as we go through each one of these ways that the Spirit works in His people, I have two goals for you. Two goals. First, if you are here and you are not a believer, then what the Holy Spirit is meant to show you today from this passage is the sufficiency of the power of the cross. Jesus died on the cross to save wicked men like you, and wicked men and women like you and me from our sin. And when we believe that, he equips us with the power of his Holy Spirit. So the second purpose I have is for you if you are a believer. The purpose of this is to call you to this assurance of faith which is yours as the Holy Spirit works in you. If you have received Christ as your Savior, you have received the Holy Spirit. And the goal we have in the rest of our time this morning is learning to live in the confidence and the assurance of the power of the cross as the Holy Spirit directs our eyes to see the beauty of King Jesus. Now, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is, a, is, a, is often misused and often misunderstood. And we usually, we tend to, most of the conversation about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer tends to be oriented towards certain things. And not necessarily the most basic and fundamental aspects of the way the Holy Spirit works on us. So, there are many things we could say about the, what the Spirit does in the life of a believer. These are the most basic and fundamental. These are the ones you need to have nailed down. These are the ones you have to have because this is what you're meant to rely on in your day-to-day -day walk with Christ. So, we're going to look at three ways the Spirit assures us. First, we look at how the Spirit assures us as we, have, we know have, we have received Him. So, even though Paul was astonished at the Galatians, he was not ready to abandon them. And praise God for that. Paul was obviously disappointed with these brothers and sisters, but clearly he still loved them. And so, he was willing to fight for them and to fight for their faith, to defend them from this assault from Satan. In his appeal to the Galatians to find their assurance before God in the power of the cross, Paul begins by reminding them of how they had first received the Holy Spirit when they first believed in Christ and trusted in Him for their salvation. He says, let me ask you only this, which is a funny thing to ask because then he launches into four questions. They're all meant to make one point. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Now notice there, Paul assumes they have the Spirit. And he assumes that the Galatians know that they have received the Spirit. Right? That's not even up for debate with Paul. They have received the Spirit. His goal is to show them that they received the Spirit because of the effectiveness of the power of the cross of Christ. So there was a time when the Galatians were estranged from God in their sin. Their hearts were dead. They were enslaved to the passions of sin. They lived like condemned criminals with no way of earning God's favor. But then one day, Paul came and he preached Christ crucified. And, and, and Jesus, they saw Jesus for the Savior that he is. They saw that he was crucified for them. And an amazing thing happened. Dead hearts came alive. And as they heard this message, new life was breathed into them. The Holy Spirit took the objective work that Jesus did on the cross, and He took it and He applied it to them. And they repented of their sins. They trusted Jesus, the crucified Christ, to save them. And their lives changed forever. And we can take Paul's question 
to be a very pointed statement. After all, that's what it's meant to do. And that point is simply this. The Galatians received the Holy Spirit when they heard the gospel, that's gospel of grace, and then they believed it. The reception of the Holy Spirit and His presence in their lives showed that God saved them and that He had included them in His covenant people. What an amazing thing. Now, let's be clear. The Galatians did not receive the Spirit by doing good works or even works of the law. After all, they were uncircumcised Gentiles, most of them. No, they received the Spirit. They were adopted in as sons and daughters of God, heirs with Christ, because they believed the gospel of God's grace. It's worth noticing how Paul takes this as a matter of fact. It's an undeniable truth in Paul's mind that the Galatians had received the Holy Spirit when they believed the gospel that Paul had preached to them. They had experienced the power of God working in them firsthand. And they experienced that power in their conversion when they trusted in the cross of Christ to be effective for them. That experience played a huge role in convincing the apostles that Jesus uh, had come to save Jews and Gentiles alike. That membership in the people of God was on the basis of faith in Christ, not in works of the law. Paul is making the same case to the Galatians that Peter later makes to the council, uh, the gathered council in Jerusalem in Acts 15 verses 8 through 9 where he says, And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them, he's talking about Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. God does not look on the works of sinners to determine who he will and who he won't save. If that were the case, no one would be saved. To the contrary, Romans 5, verses 7 through 8 says that while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one may even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Righteousness, then, is not found in works of the law, good works. It is received by faith in Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit who works to apply that work of Christ to us as the sign and who is the sign and seal of our salvation. And the Bible makes it very clear. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. The power of the cross is able to make us alive. It's the Spirit who takes that power and applies it to us so that we can respond to God with faith and obedience, trusting Christ to save us, trusting in His innocence to become our innocence and make us pure in the sight of God. The Spirit of God dwells in believers as the guarantee of that hope. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, In Him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the point of all this is this. Let us give glory and credit where it is due. If we have believed the gospel, it's not because we've obtained salvation for ourselves. We believe because God, by his spirit, has worked in us. He's made us alive with Christ and he has sealed us and guaranteed us of the hope of eternal life with him.
And the Galatians knew they hadn't received the Holy Spirit through works of the law. That's obvious. They had undeniably experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, bringing them out of darkness into the light of Christ. But they were behaving as if it were up to them to try and perfect what the Spirit had begun by doing works of the law. So this brings us to see the second way that the Spirit assures us of the power of the cross. We see that the Spirit works in God's people to perfect us in Christ. In verse 3, Paul shows how foolish it is to rely on works to try to perfect what the Spirit has begun. He says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Now, if you've ever read Paul before, then you know he loves to use the, the term the flesh to refer to our sinful nature, who we are prior to, prior to when we come to Christ. It's, it's who we are before Christ saves us. The flesh, that sinfulness that is within us, relies on its own efforts. The Spirit teaches us to rely on Christ. When Paul asks the Galatians if they, are, if they think that they'll be able to perfect in the flesh what the Spirit started in them, he's trying to draw attention to the gaping hole in their logic. They started one way, but now they're trying to finish another. They had tasted the freedom of Christ, but now they're being led down this shiny path all the way back into slavery, under, back to where they were when they were born, under Adam. The trouble... Uh, where the people who were troubling the Galatians were arguing that they could not be part of the people of God unless they were willing to come under the law, specifically unless they were willing to be circumcised. But Paul knew how the Galatians had heard the gospel of grace, how they had trusted, trusted it, how they had received the Holy Spirit, and now he's appealing to them on the basis of what they had received, putting a spotlight on the foolishness of their thinking that somehow... By returning to the works of the flesh, they'd be able to make themselves really fitting in the sight of God. The Holy Spirit is the life force of our faith. He's the one who convicts us of sin. He works in us to bring us to faith. He produces the fruit of faith in our lives. He applies the work of Christ to us. And He perfects us in the faith. Just as the Holy Spirit brings us to faith in the first place, so He also works to perfect us to bring about what He has begun. When we believe in Christ, God declares us righteous in His sight instantly. But we often, but the, the, as we grow into that righteousness, that's like more of a gradual work. He gradually brings us into alignment with Christ. That's why you still struggle with sin, even if you are a believer. That's why you still see professing believers who have been believers for 50 plus years still battling with sin because they are not yet perfected yet. If we think that somehow we'll be able to perfect ourselves, we're living by the same sort of logic that the Galatians were trying to live in. It's foolish. In Galatians 5, 17, Paul says that the desires of the flesh, that same word that he uses here, that the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They work in opposition to each other. They produce opposite fruits. It's foolish to think that we can perfect ourselves working in our own power because our flesh doesn't want us to be perfected to look like Christ. So, the Bible calls us to walk by the Spirit. That's the only way we can avoid gratifying those old desires that are being purged out of us. Now, the Galatians apparently thought they had found the right mixture. They had the silver bullet. 
They thought that by keeping the law, they could perfect what the Spirit had started in them. But obviously, that was a foolish thing to believe. The rule of Christ in our hearts is something that is set up and advanced by the work of Christ in us alone. As Sibs also says, Christ brings judgment to victory. We both fight and prevail in the power of his might. We overcome by the spirit obtained by the blood of the Lamb. It is he alone who teaches our hands to war and our fingers to fight. The divine power of Christ is necessary to carry us above all our own strength. So we have one hope, both in our salvation and in our transformation. It's the grace of God working in us to produce faith and obedience. The Christian life is about learning to live in the power of the Spirit according to the priorities of the Father to the glory of King Jesus. Sometimes I think that we can be reluctant to come before the throne of God, either because we think we've got to have everything figured out before we go there, or because we realize just how weak our efforts really are, and we're just ashamed of ourselves. But Paul in his rebuke of the Galatians, reminds us that our only hope to be perfected into the image of Christ, to take on what we've been purchased by him to be, is to walk by faith according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Here is the good news about that. Because I don't know about you, but I can be a bit of a control freak, especially when it's about me. And I don't know that I like the idea that my salvation and my sanctification and my glorification, things that matter for eternity, are up to someone else. Here's the good news about that. Not only is the Holy Spirit able to take the abundant work of Christ and make you holy, He is committed to it because He loves the glory of the Son. He loves to see Christ exalted in Christ's people. And he will not fail to see it through. We can trust this God. Not just because he's all powerful, but because he's all good. And because he never, ever fails. So this is good news. And feeling your weakness is actually a good thing for you this morning. Because you need to despair of anything but the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. That's the the feeling of that weakness is what drives you to pray. And I hope you pray this. God, incline my heart to you. Open my eyes to your words. Perfect the righteousness of Christ in me. Redeem me from the ways I've failed you. Exalt yourself in my life. Make your rule in me the same as it is in heaven. And use me as your beloved servant. Are you praying that for your life? If you are, it's because the Spirit is working in you. But you must press into that power. We run this race in the same way we began it, by faith. Now the power of the cross we've seen can be seen in in two ways. We've seen how it can be seen in the way the Spirit works in believers in two ways. We've seen it as the Spirit works um, as He first, that we receive Him. We've seen it in the way He works to perfect the image of Christ in us. Finally, we see how the power of the cross is seen in the way the Spirit supplies believers with everything they need. Verses 4 and 5, Paul asked the Galatians, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, we don't know a lot about how the Galatians suffered. 
We know that they did suffer based on this verse. And then if we look forward into chapter 4 of 29, we see that they were persecuted for their faith in Christ. They were persecuted for the gospel that they had received from Paul. And there is nothing so tragic and pitiful as watching a person suffer for a cause and then be defeated in the end. Athletes put in enormous amounts of blood, sweat, and tears into their training and into their practice. Every time you watch the end of a championship game, though, you'll see the cameras pointing at two very different things. They always seem to pick up on two things. They either pick up on the joy of the winners or they pick up on the devastation of the losers. And it seems like the best way to get on national TV is to break down in tears in front of everyone. And when you watch something like that, you think it's easy to think to yourself, wow, silly to cry like that over a game. But when you think about how much effort that athlete put into getting to that moment, they had trained their entire lives and then been defeated, you can start to realize how devastating that really is. It is hard to see so much time and effort go up in a puff of smoke and to never get that moment again. Sacrifice for a vain cause is devastating. If the Galatians give up on living by the Spirit, if they abandon Christ and they take on these shackles of the law and the circumcision, Paul is telling them that everything they suffered up to this point will be for nothing. At the end of this letter in Galatians 6, verse 12, Paul indicates that, these, uh, that the people who were putting pressure on the Galatians to give in and to embrace circumcision, to come under the law, to try to gain entrance into the people of God for themselves, he says that they were in it for themselves. He says that they only wanted to make a good showing in the flesh on their account. They wanted to hold up the Galatians as trophies and say, look what we did. See? And then he says that the reason they did this was only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross. So when Paul asked the Galatians here in chapter 3, did you suffer so many things in vain? He's not only indicating that the Galatians have suffered for their allegiance to Christ, but he's indicating that if they abandon this gospel now, what they have suffered to this point for their faith will be for nothing. And furthermore, he's showing that while they may gain a little comfort here and now, if they give in to this, they'll be losing the eternal reward they have with Christ. True saints will always, by the grace of God, because of the work of Christ, and because of the power of His cross, Persevere. Perseverance in this faith takes something, though. It takes an assurance that the power of the cross is enough. If we're going to keep our feet on this path of faith, we need to keep our eyes fixed on the power of the cross because we can't do anything without our Father who supplies every one of our needs. So follow Paul's logic here in verse 5. The one who supplies his Spirit to us and works wonders among his people, will not abandon us or expect us to endure in our own power. But Paul says he, but we, he calls us rather to trust in God to supply us with everything we need, the way a father cares for and, and provides for his children. As Brad read earlier from Romans 8, uh, Romans 8 verses 15 and 17 go on to tell us, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
He says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The Galatians had suffered for the cross. And Paul's cry to them is not to abandon what they have, the path they have taken so that that, so that that suffering would be in vain. And he's calling them back to the cross of Christ, even if it means suffering for it. We learn to trust in the assurance of the power of the cross through the witness of the Spirit who comforts us and strengthens us and equips us to endure the sufferings that we are called to bear with Christ and who works in us to testify to us that we are indeed the children of God. A spirit is there with that ID card saying, yep, they're in. They are covered by the blood of Christ, and I love them. As children of God, heirs with Christ, the spirit also equips us for the work that he's called us to do. And this assures us of the effectiveness of the power of the cross. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Notice there again, Paul is not asking whether or not the Spirit will supply the needs of his saints. He's reminding the Galatians that they will receive that supply through faith. The Galatians suffered for their allegiance to Christ, but it was God who supplied their need. It was God who did amazing things among them. Paul doesn't go into detail here about what sort of works or miracles that God did by His Spirit in those churches. They knew what they were, and he's more concerned about drawing their attention back to the way that God had worked in and among them, not because they had kept the law, but because they had believed in this gospel of grace. We should always be careful about relying on personal experience as the authority of what we believe. Our view of the world is so small. If we just look at what we can see in the world to dictate what, is, what we understand and believe as true, we will be tossed around by the storms of this world like you won't believe. It's when we fix our eyes on the power of the cross that we are kept steadfast. All too often, people read into their experience and they arrive at beliefs which, about God which actually contradict what he said about himself and his word. So beware of using your experience to say God is like this. Nevertheless, it is also true that the Christian faith is not meant to be some heady, intellectual religion that if you just get your truths right, you'll be saved. No, this is meant to be lived by. This is, this is something that is meant to be, you're, it's like shoes you're supposed to put your feet in and start walking with to experience them. And when our experience matches up with what God has said in his word, we need to recognize that and rejoice in that, and let that experience build up our confidence that God is faithful in everything he says. When we recognize how God has worked to save us out of our sin, when we see how he is working by the power of his spirit, even now to perfect us, when we take a step back and we see how he has preserved us through every season of suffering that we have been through, and how he continues to work to preserve us, how he has provided for us every good and perfect thing. When we do that, then we learn to appreciate the power of the cross, and we learn to lean in to the power of the cross. We learn that there really isn't a message, another message out there that can hold up 
to the demands and the abuse that this life brings with it. Assurance is something that we all want. It's something, though, that I think every Christian struggles with at some point, though some of us probably struggle with it more than others. Here is, the, here is what we need to learn from this passage about Christian assurance. You won't find assurance in good works. You won't find assurance in the fact that you're a member of a church. You won't find assurance in how much offering you give on a Sunday morning. You won't find assurance in apologetics. You will find assurance in the testimony of the Spirit who assures you of the power of Jesus' work on the cross as he works to hold us fast in the truth. That is where assurance is found. And it is a wonderful thing that can bear up to the weight of this world. And my encouragement to you this morning is to press into that. Let's pray. Oh God, we come before you this morning praising you because you are the God of our salvation. You have sent your son to die on the cross for us. You raised him up on the third day from the dead. And he rules and reigns at your right hand now. And we wait for him, Father, as your people. Father, we ask, we thank you that you haven't left us as orphan children. But you sent your spirit to be with your people to dwell in us, to take the objective work of Christ and to to apply it to us so that we would know the power of the cross not just as a theory, but as an experience. And Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to press into the power of the cross this week. We don't know what things are going to happen this week. We don't have to know them because we know because your spirit dwells in your people, you will provide everything we need in that moment. We confess this hope and this faith in you, Father. And I pray that you would help us, that you would press us into the power of the cross. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.